So we remember our brothers and sisters who you have joined us to as we are all joined together in Christ. We think of our brothers and sisters over at Northwest Gospel this morning and ask that you would be with them as they gather to worship you, as they gather to hear your word. I pray uh, that they would drink deeply from the well, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good. I pray that you would be with Andrew as he preaches. I pray that you'd give him words to say that aren't from him but are from you. I pray that your spirit would guide him as he instructs your people there. And I pray that the result of it would be your people rejoicing that they saw Christ, rejoicing that they know you, rejoicing that they are found in you. So glorify yourself in this way among our brothers and sisters there. We also remember our, our sister Beatrice as she is ministering to the people in Rome. I pray that you would give her wisdom as she seeks to, to win the lost to you, as she seeks to build relationships there, as she seeks to even understand the people there and their culture. I pray that you would give her wisdom so that she would know how to speak. And I pray that you would be able to use her in a way to, to save those who you have called to yourself as she she ser ser seeks to serve you there. And do the same for us, Lord. I pray that we would see your glory this morning. I pray that you would show us Christ through your word, even as we round out through the end of Colossians this morning. Lord, would you help us to see the supremacy of Christ in our own lives such that we would be transformed. And so would you be with me and give me peace, I pray that my words would be clear and I pray that we would understand you and your word clearly this morning. We want to glorify you, Lord, in all these things. And so help us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I wonder how many of us are familiar with The Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger was a series of stories that aired first on radio and after that it it's turned into a television show, and I think there were some books made of it, and recently there was even a movie released about it. But uh, for those who don't know, let me tell you just a little bit about The Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger was a former Texas Ranger named John Reed. Him and a group of other Rangers went out together in pursuit of a notorious gang, and as they did so, they were double-crossed by one of their own Rangers that was a part of their company, all of the rangers, including John Reed, were believed to be dead, but John Reed survived the attack, and so he determined to carry out justice on his own as the Lone Ranger, wearing a mask to keep his identity a secret so that his enemies wouldn't try to kill him a second time if they found out that he was still alive. Now, while the Lone Ranger did not operate under the authority of the badge, he was no criminal. Rather, he was a symbol of justice, operating under his own strict code of conduct. Now, there's two things about the Lone Ranger that I think are helpful for us this morning. First of all, as you see in the picture, the Lone Ranger is accompanied by his trusty companion, Tonto. So the Lone Ranger, he really didn't work alone. And furthermore, the Lone Ranger might make for a, a good story, but the Lone Ranger is a poor example, a poor model for us in the Christian life. But unfortunately, there are many Christians who are living quite similar to the Lone Ranger. Christians who were formerly a part of a church, but then they were hurt by a fellow member within the church. And so they regrouped, wounded, their faith hurt, but not dead. Yet they determined to live their Christian life by themselves seeking to live still according to the Christian conduct of life as best as they can, and yet struggling all the same. This is an all too familiar pattern of Christians in our day and age. There's three forms of this Lone Ranger Christianity that I'll highlight for us. First of all, there's the online church attender. You see, most resources today are available to us at the click of a button. You can have sermons, podcasts, books, you name it, all kinds of resources that can edify us and build us up in the faith. See, the world is being shaped by the internet, 
And the church is no exception to this. The church even is being formed by the internet. And while there are countless benefits to having our resources on the internet, the internet cannot replace what happens here in the local church. But we are all in church this morning, so we're exempt from this. So I hope, but I say this in case one day you might think, you know what? I've had enough with church. I think I'm just going to do me and Jesus at home and listen to my favorite preachers online. If that's you this morning, or if you're ever tempted towards that end in the future, know that that's no replacement for being a part of the local church. The second form of Lone Ranger Christianity takes the form of the church hopper. The church hopper gets weary of the problems in their particular congregation. Perhaps, again, they were hurt by the church, and so the church hopper will go from church to church and search for that perfect church where there is no sinner. Now, we all know that's like looking for Bigfoot. Such a church doesn't exist. But if you're visiting this morning, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And to be clear, there are some good reasons that you might leave a church. But if you are in search of the perfect church without sinners, let me just spoil this for you. You are in the midst of many sinners, myself included. Now, for the rest of us, though, I recognize most of our faces this morning. Neither of these two categories fit you, but perhaps this third one does. You're a church attender faithful week in and week out, and yet no one truly knows you. It's all too easy to be a member even here at Living Water Church and not be known. It's even possible to be part of a community group and not be known. It's even possible to be leading a ministry, perhaps even preaching on a Sunday morning and not be truly known. So perhaps there's more than one of us here who are like the Lone Ranger, keeping a mask on so that no one will know who we truly are, living our Christian life as if it's just me and Jesus. Well, our text this morning shows us a better way of living the Christian life, and it's not one of isolation, it's not one of secret, but it's one that is linked arm in arm with fellow believers as we seek to glorify Christ in our life. This is our final Sunday in Colossians, and we'll be covering a large chunk of Scripture. We're going to be going through verses 7 through 18, which are Paul's final greetings. Uh, but let me just tell you kind of the structure of what's going on in case that might help you, because we're going to be all over the place. Uh, but there's... there's some intentionality with how Paul even closes out the end of this letter. First, verses 7 through 9, Paul gives his recommendation of the two men who are bringing this letter to the church in Colossae. And then after that, he sends with them greetings from his other fellow brothers in arms together who are with him there as he writes this letter. There's six of them there with him as he writes from prison. And then finally, in verses 14 through 17, there are some last instructions before he comes to verse 18 and rounds out the letter and closes it. Now, we might be tempted to just gloss over this list of names here at the end of Colossians. We might think these names are meaningless names, that they're not for us today, but brothers and sisters, let me remind you that all scripture is profitable for us, including our texts that we're looking at this morning. And what we find here aren't just a, a list of meaningless names, but what we see here are brothers and sisters whom we have been united to in Christ. Though they are long dead, now they are, most of them, with Christ. And furthermore, as we look at these wonderful saints who went before us, we can gain some insight into their own lives and to their own aims, their own ambitions as they sought to serve the Lord together, which shows us this. The Christian doctrine that Paul has worked hard to defend and make clear is not merely for the sake of books. Our doctrine is not just for our heads, but rather our doctrine should shape our lives, as I believe we're going to see in our text, shape the lives of Paul and his partners. We see 10 individuals here in our text that are listed by name, 
all of whom are serving the Lord in various ways. We have letter carriers, most notably Tychicus, who brought this letter and other letters to various churches, literally carriers of Scripture, carriers of God's Word to God's people. We see in this list two particular Scripture writers who we should be familiar with. Mark, also known as John Mark, and Luke. Mark, of course, wrote the Gospel of Mark, and Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. We see also in the midst of these partners of Paul, a prayer warrior, Epaphras, who we've already been introduced to here in Colossians. And then finally, I want to just highlight one particular servant of the Lord, a woman, a church hostess named Nympha, who opened her home so that God's people could gather together to be built up through the reading of God's word, through praying and through singing. These are just a taste of the, the saints who are listed in this morning's text. And what we see is they are all partners together in Christ. So I have really one main call for us this morning, and that's this. We are to cultivate the bond of Christian fellowship. Now, even though Paul had a team, I think sometimes we can have overly idealistic views about Paul and his team. You see, Paul though they worked together for the sake of Christ, him and his team certainly had obstacles that they would face along the way. Obstacles that I think many of us would use today for reasons why we should not gather. Perhaps to have this kind of Lone Ranger Christianity. And so what I want to do is walk through five reasons why we should still link arms together in the ministry despite the reasons why we might use, the excuses we might have for why we would not regularly gather and link arms and partner together for the sake of the gospel. First of all, distance. We should still cultivate the bond of Christian fellowship despite the distance that might separate us from gathering together regularly. Let me make a few observations about our text. First, Colossians 2.1, previously we see that Paul has never actually met the Christians to whom he has been writing to. Colossians 2.1, he said, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul has not seen the Colossians or the other Christians that we see from our text this morning that he has also written letters to, do, to. And yet he still loves them. He loves the Colossians. He loves the Laodiceans. And so he labors. He writes to them. He prays for them. And he sends his own partners in the ministry to them so that they might make the gospel known to them lest they are deceived and fall away from Christ. Second, I want us to see that even Paul's partners are making a great effort in order to deliver this message to the saints in Colossae and in Laodicea. He's sending Tychicus in verse 7. And it appears even from our text that he intends to send John Mark as well. And even Paul, we learn, in Philemon, Paul himself intends to, to visit the church there in Colossae. Listen to Philemon 22. At the same time, now this is a letter that was accompanied with the Colossian letter, carried by Tychicus and Onesimus. He said this, At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. So despite the distance, this isn't the, the simple sending of a text message or an email, despite the distance, Paul and his, his partners are willing to go and minister to the people there in Colossae. And finally, even consider Epaphras. Epaphras, we've heard about already back in chapter 1, is a, one of the fellow Colossians. He was there in their midst. He was the one who perhaps even brought the gospel to them and made the gospel known so that they would come to faith. He was likely probably one of the, the elders there, perhaps the church planter. Listen to how we've heard of him in the past. In chapter 1, Paul says that they learned the gospel from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And yet now, if Epaphras is no longer with the Colossians, he's left the Colossian church and he's gone to Paul so that he might report as to what's going on there in the church, so that Paul might write to them and encourage them and exhort them and, and remind them of the gospel. 
And so we read of Epaphras in our text this morning. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you might stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. So there's great distance here between all these servants and between those to whom they are working to minister to. But that distance does not keep them from going and it does not keep them from praying. So how might we apply this into our life as well? Well, this might seem like a minor point to make. After all, we are in church this morning and we seem to gather regularly. But church attendance isn't all that I have in mind this morning on this point. Rather, I have in mind a deep, meaningful relationship with God's people that are to be had, not just on Sundays, but all throughout the week. And furthermore, I have in mind relationships that would cause us to to reach out and to pray for each other constantly, day in and day out, so that we might know how we might be supporting one another in our own walk of faith. But even more than this, I want us to even be willing to consider the fact that some of us, like Beatrice, whom we just prayed for this morning, might even leave our own congregation so that we might be willing to minister to mission to other fellow Christians to whom we might not even know face to face. That we would go to them and bring Christ to them, even some who have yet to hear the name of Jesus, all for the sake of Christ's name, for the salvation of the lost, and for the perseverance of saints who are, are struggling and don't have the same benefits that we have here. Let me bear my own sinful heart for just a moment. I say this to myself because I love my comforts. I love my couch and my easy chair. I love being in my own home. And yet there are times where it is important, brothers and sisters, that we leave our own comforts and our own ease of life so that we might best care for one another and even care for those who are not even in our own four walls, but brothers and sisters who we have not seen face to face, who we don't even know. You see, love knows no bounds, does it? And we know this best of all by just looking to Christ, who left the comforts and riches of heaven so that he might dwell even in our own midst and suffer and die even for us so that we might know him and be united to him. So brothers and sisters, let us imitate Christ in this way. Despite the distance, let us be willing to link arms together and partner together for the sake of the gospel. But not only this, we need to do so despite our own differences. Once again, let me make some observations from our text. Look at verses 10 through 14. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. There's three names here listed. And then Paul says this, of these three men... They are the only ones of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. So that these men are Jews, okay? And now there's three more men that he's going to list that aren't Jews. They're Gentiles. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you might stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke the beloved physician greets you as does Demas. Now here, we have three more men, three Jews, three Gentiles, including Paul and Timothy who are writing this letter together. All eight of these men striving together for the sake of the gospel so that the Colossians might receive the word of God and be built up by it. Let me make another observation to the same point. Now, not about race, but now of social status. Look at verses 7 through 9. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister. And note this particular description of him. He is a fellow servant. If you remember from our time when he's talking about bond servants, it's a word very similar. It's the word slave once again. Tychicus is called a slave, a fellow slave with Christ serving God's people. And then in verse 9, with him is Onesimus, called a faithful and beloved brother. Now, who is Onesimus? We're going to learn more of him in the weeks to come as Tate walks through the letter of Philemon, but let me just tell you a little bit about him. Onesimus is a slave, literally. He is a runaway slave 
who now Paul is sending back to his owner in Colossae. And so you see side by side a fellow servant, Tychicus, who is called a fellow servant, a fellow slave, and now Onesimus, who is literally a slave, not called a slave, but instead he is a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. And now one last observation. You have Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, and finally even that woman who is listed here in verse 15, Nympha, and the church in her house. So what are we to make of this? Jews and Gentiles all working together, slaves and free, working together, male and female, all laboring side by side for the sake of the gospel. We should understand this. The gospel unites all people of all races and all tongues together, all for the sake of Christ, because he is what we have in common. Or as Paul already wrote to them earlier in in Colossians 3, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so what should we make of this for ourselves this morning? We have a bond, brothers and sisters, far closer than blood, far closer than affinities that we might share, far closer than being in the same age category and having the same interests. We have Christ. And yet, I hear these kinds of words from people who have even left our own fellowship, saying, people here just don't get me. They're just not in the same season of life as me. They don't share the same interests as me. As if we have nothing in common But understand, if we have Christ, we have everything in common that should cause us to to join arm in arm with one another, hand in hand with one another, serving the Lord, serving one another, loving one another, caring for one another. If anyone could have said something along the lines of, I don't belong in this fellowship, I think it would have been perhaps the slave who's being sent back to his church as a fellow brother So we should recognize, yes, there is diversity even among Paul's partners and even amongst our own congregation. I look at myself and then I have breakfast with some of you guys who are much older than me, much wiser than me, much smarter than me. And I think, "Ah, I don't know why you're spending time with me. And yet, I understand why. Because we have this in common. Not age, not season of life, not interest, but, but Christ who is ours. It's what Paul wrote to the Ephesians when he said this, there is one body. One spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And then the diversity. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You see both the, the, the unity and the diversity here in this passage. So why do we gather together this morning? Not because we love the same sports team. It's not because we have the same occupation. It's not because we're in the same season of life, but because we have the same Lord, Jesus Christ, who belongs to us. So don't let our differences cause us to separate. But furthermore, despite the dangers, all the same, we should gather together regularly, arm in arm. Again, let me make another observation from our text, Colossians 4.10. I want to introduce you to a guy who I didn't know until I studied this passage. His name is Aristarchus. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Aristarchus isn't mentioned many times in the Bible, five times in total, three times in the book of Acts, and then once here in Colossians and again in Philemon. But after this week, I have come to love Aristarchus. Because Aristarchus has a unique role, even as we see him identified here in this letter. He is a, a fellow prisoner with Paul. I believe that means... He is in chains in a unique way that the others might not have been, suffering with Paul in prison. But it's not just here. When Aristarchus is mentioned all throughout the scriptures, he is known for suffering. When the riot broke out in Ephesus, guess who was there? Aristarchus, Acts 19.29 
The whole city was filled with confusion. They rushed together into the theater, and dragging with them was Gaius and Aristarchus. There he is, the Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. You've got to love a friend like that who's willing to suffer with you, or even suffer because of you, because Paul's the one who's raised this uproar. And you'd think he would run away after this, and yet he doesn't, because he shows up again later on. In Acts 27, we hear of him again, this time when Paul is being sent to Rome in, in a ship. Guess who's there? Acts 27, 2, you'll see Aristarchus, the Macedonian from Thessalonica, there again in the ship. And what happened to that ship? Do you remember? The shipwreck. It sunk. It went down. Do you have a bond with a fellow believer who's willing to suffer alongside you like that? Well, as it turns out, Paul had more than one because look again at Acts 27, 2. It's not just Aristarchus who is there. It says, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus. Who's the we there? It's Luke and Paul and Aristarchus. Again, Luke, who is even mentioned here in the fellowship of Paul's partners. Luke is there with him through the shipwreck. We could talk about Luke again in all the ways that he was with Paul, even in his own darkest hours. In 2 Timothy, we read in 2 Timothy 4.11 that when everyone else deserted Paul, Luke alone was with him. What a friend. What a, a bond that Christians have that they're willing to suffer the loss of all things, even their own lives, because they love one another as they love Christ. And it's not just Luke. The surrounding context here in 1112, it's not just Luke, but, but he's writing to Timothy, who's also the one who's writing this letter with Paul. Luke alone is with me, and he's telling Timothy, also bring back Mark, the very same Mark, once again, who's a part of this company. Remember him for just a moment. And Tychicus, once again, who's the letter carrier, is once again being sent now to Ephesus. Oh, Paul has a, a hearty group of friends, a hearty group of brothers, arm in arm together for the sake of the gospel. So how might we apply this? For years, we have enjoyed the freedom to gather and to worship in our country without fear of persecution. And yet, very well possible that such privileges might not be ours forever. And if it's not persecution that will drive you outside of the church, certainly it will be a love for the world and the things of the world. So what will keep you in the church? It's the deep roots that we have in Christ. As we draw from the theme of Colossians, we see it once again. Why would Aristarchus suffer so much? And Luke and all these other beloved brothers, Tychicus and, and John Mark and Timothy, why would they stick around Paul in these dark times? Because they know that Jesus is supreme, that he's better than life itself, that this loss of all things is worth it if we might obtain Christ. So even despite whatever losses we might experience in life, may we cling to Christ and cling to one another as Christ's body and continue to serve him. But now let's get to the real heart of why people leave churches. We're to continue in fellowship, cultivating our relationships, even despite our disputes amongst ourselves. Perhaps to say it more directly, despite the sin that we commit against one another. Two brief observations. First, Onesimus, one of the carriers of the letter, remember he's a slave. He's a runaway slave who is being sent back. He's sinned against his master. He's sinned against Philemon, and yet they are to be reconciled to one another. More on this to come. Tate will explain it more in the weeks to come. Let's look at another relationship, though, that has been broken because of conflict. Remember John Mark, who I told you to keep in your mind. Mark is striking to me because he's with Paul here, suffering with him alongside him here in prison. And not only that, but in 2 Timothy 4.11, we read that Mark was to be brought to Paul because Paul said that he's very useful to me for ministry. And this is important and striking because this was not always the case in Paul's eyes. Listen to what happened in Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas were partners together in ministry. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, the same Mark in our text this morning. But Paul thought it best not to take 
with them, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had, gone, had not gone with them to do the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas. And that was over a decade before Paul wrote to the Colossians. And now, a decade later, we see Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, a brother with Paul in arms together for the sake of the gospel. So what are we to make of this? Well, if there is ever a reason that I hear most common for why we disband in churches, it is this right here. It's conflict. It's disputes. It's sin against one another. And this is happening all the time because, as I've already said, we are just a bunch of sinners. Kind of like marriage. When a husband and wife gets married, two sinners get married, there's bound to be some difficulties. And the same is all the more so true within the church. A bunch of sinners getting together sounds like a plan for problems. And yet this is what God has designed for our own sanctification, that we might be built up together. And yet we've been given these instructions as well. Paul wrote earlier in chapter 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Understand, these are not just words for Paul. And these are not just instructions for the Colossians, but this is a reality that Paul himself has experienced at the very least between him and Mark. Coming up in four years of having been at Living Water Church, and in the last four years, we have seen more than a few dear ones leave our fellowship. Perhaps some of them left because they were not of us, while certainly others left because they were hurt, perhaps by us. And yet we ought to keep the same mind as Paul in recognizing that there should not be a single brother or sister in Christ who would come back to us and and humility and repentance, or perhaps if we sinned against them, that we would even go and reconcile with them. And there ought not to be a single Christian to whom we aren't glad to receive back into our fellowship. So even despite all these things, we ought to continue all the more so to encourage one another and to, to gather together and to love one another and to serve one another. But even despite all these things, perhaps some of us would still say, you know what, I just can't trust people. And yet even despite our distrust, we should cultivate our fellowship all the more. But some will say, how can I trust someone if I know they might fail me? How can I trust someone if I can't know for certain that they won't hurt me? Is that what keeps you from drawing near? If so, I've got some disappointing news for you. Not if, but when a Christian fails you and sins against you and hurts you. Just spend a day with me and I'm sure you're going to find all kinds of flaws that I have. Around here we talk about what we call the doctrines of grace. That acronym TULIP starts with the T, which stands for total depravity. We understand that about each other. We are all, each and every single one of us, though redeemed, we are still sinners who are totally depraved. Not as bad as we could be, but still, nonetheless, sin is in us. And though we are being sanctified day by day, we will never be without sin until the day we are with Christ. And so Christians, all the more, we must bear with one another and forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Yeah, we're going to fight. Yeah, there's going to be disputes and disagreements. But nonetheless... Let us continue on loving one another, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, and to that end, partnering together for the sake of Christ. And if you think that Paul had it good, as if no one in this team would ever hurt him bad enough, consider Demas. Colossians 4.14. Luke 
beloved physician greets you, as does Demas. We don't know much about Demas from the scriptures. He's only mentioned three times by name. Once here, once again, he's going to be mentioned in Philemon, and then the other time in 2 Timothy. Again, in that darkest hour, listen to Paul's words. He says, do your best to come to me, Timothy. Come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Spend enough time with Christians, you're bound to run into a Demas, just as Jesus himself, our Lord, had Judas in his fellowship among his disciples who would betray him. But let us understand this. Though men might fail you, Christ will not. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And so all the same, don't be a lone ranger thinking it's just me and Jesus. Bear with one another knowing that Christians are going to encourage you all the more in your faith. So how might we develop these relationships? I'm running out of time, so I'm going to move quickly. Perhaps men, us most of all, and I say us including myself, are the worst at this. Developing this rich, deep, meaningful fellowship with fellow believers. So perhaps we might talk to our wives, as I did yesterday, asking Sarah how she does it so well. But let me give us a caution. Be careful of building artificial relationships. Social media has taught us this much, that it's possible to have hundreds, if not even thousands of friends, and yet be more lonely and isolated than ever. So I'm not talking about just artificial friendships that we might build, but I'm talking about the deep-rooted relationships that come from recognizing that we are joined together with Christ, and with him, we are joined together with all the saints. Consider when you perhaps got married to your spouse if you're married. I know when I married my wife, I married one person, but with her I gained an entire family. And with me, she also gained all my family. So too, when we are joined to Christ, we are not just joined to him alone, but we are joined to all those who are united with Christ. And so if you don't know how to build the deep, meaningful relationships with fellow believers, Take some time and consider what it means for you to be joined to Christ and your fellow believers who you might get annoyed with, who are also joined with him. See the love that God has, not just for you, but the love that he has for your brothers and sisters. And then after that, I think we could draw from this text, once again, at the very least, four ways in which we can further cultivate this relationship. First, let's consider what it would look like for us to now actually partner with one another, not just bear with one another and put up with each other, but actually link arms together to accomplish the mission that God has given us. I've covered this already to some extent, but just consider once again Tychicus. If there was no Tychicus or Onesimus, there probably wouldn't be a letter to the Colossians. Paul's in prison, and yet though he is bound, the word of God is not bound. And it's not just them, but even consider Nympha. Yet again, Nympha the one, the woman who would open up her home for the believers, if she would not open up her house for the, the believers to gather, I wonder where the church might have gathered. We need one another, brothers and sisters. It's no wonder Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, he sent them out not one by one, but two by two. All the names listed here in this passage, they have one common goal. Though Demas would depart they still had one common goal, and that was to glorify God and make disciples. And that's certainly our mission here too as well, to form passionate followers of Jesus by proclaiming the gospel of the glory of God. So I would ask, are you on mission with us here? Are you just a armchair critic, perhaps? One who even comes just to be entertained or to give that little pep talk to on Sundays, but one who's really not engaged in the ministry that God has called us to do. Perhaps one reason why our Christian fellowship is so shallow is because we lack this common mission together. I hear this with men. Sometimes you go, yeah, I just, I'm just not that way. Relationships are hard for me. It certainly is true for us men, as I mentioned earlier, but but I don't think it's because we're men. 
I don't think that's the problem. I think it's because we lack this common mission. Look at the Marines as an example for men who have a, a shared goal, a shared mission. And those Marines are closer than brothers. Or if it's not the Marines, if you've ever been to any kind of pro sporting event, there's men who don't even know each other who are chest bumping each other, just cheering on their team and even weeping over their, their idols. What would it look like, church, if we were on mission together, making disciples, winning our neighborhood, praying for those in our workplace, all of this done together, all for the sake of Christ? We might be rejected by men. In fact, we probably will be, but I bet in the process our relationships would grow deeper and richer. So we should partner together for the sake of the gospel. And in doing so, we're going to cultivate the bond of our, our fellowship. Furthermore, we should provide care for one another, provide for one another, love one another, as we've talked about already. Again, just brief observations from our text. We see in verse 8 that the Colossians seem to have a deep care for Paul, even though they don't know them. Paul is sending with, with the letter, these two messengers, Tychicus and Onesimus, so that they also might know how Paul is. And not only that, but all those who are with Paul in prison, those those Jews and Gentiles, Paul says they are a great comfort to Paul there in prison. So there's deep relationships, and they seem to be actually doing the one another's of Scripture. It's being practiced. It's being put into to work in the lives of these believers. Once again, I look at even some of the ladies in our, our own church who do so well at this. They have all sorts of friends, all sorts of connections that they make, and you know what they have in common? They're friendly, and moreover, they really love the ladies to whom they share life with. I think about even what we're called to do by our Lord himself in Matthew 25 when he says to those, the righteous, the sheep that he puts on his right hand, he says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me, sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. If we really put those to work, oh, there would be such a great relationship between saints. And the righteous will say to him, answer him, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Or did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Understand, brothers and sisters, when we serve one another, we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us cultivate our fellowship by providing for one another. But not just that. Let's, let's do it by praying for one another. This letter is saturated with prayer. From the very beginning, Paul is praying for the Colossians. As we saw just at the beginning of chapter 4, and just a few weeks ago, Paul once again called the Colossians to be steadfast in prayer. And even now, we see Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you might stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Sounds a lot like Paul's prayer. There is an intimacy shared with the saints who pray for one another that is greater than a friend who just asks, how are you doing? I'm sure the question might be sincere. Other times it might not. It might just be polite. But when we say, how can I pray for you? A brother, sister, know that I am praying for you. There is a depth that such a sentiment and such a reality makes that goes far deeper than just, how you doing? Because it shows that we're not just polite. But when we're praying for one another, it shows that we're in it together. So Epaphras, who is struggling for the believers, for his brothers and sisters, oh, that we would learn to pray like Epaphras, not just flippantly, but struggling in prayer. And finally, one last way that we might do this is, is by protecting one another. Understand, brothers and sisters, that when we're together, we are safer than when we are doing it like the Lone Ranger. 
When we are together, we have greater discernment of, of both the error that we are, the errors, the, the doctrines that we're listening to from the world that are not according to Christ. And not only that, but our own sin that creeps up in our life that we might be altogether unaware of. Listen to Colossians 4, 10 through 11 one more time. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning him who you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. You see two different asides happening in these few verses. Both of them that are Paul saying, know that these are faithful servants. Both Mark whom they may have known that Paul and him had a disagreement for and might have questioned whether Mark was a trustworthy servant, but now Paul is saying, yes, he is. And not just Mark, but all these Jews, they're all fellow workers among the circumcision party that, that they are to, to trust, to listen to. These are fellow workers with Paul. And it's important that they know that because earlier in the letter, in chapter 2, he warned them of the other perhaps Jewish false teachers who are leading them into all kinds of Jewish practices. Colossians 2, 16 and 17, speaking about the different foods and drinks that they are to abstain from and to indulge in, and the festivals and new moons and Sabbaths, all the Old Testament laws that were but a shadow of the thing to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so now here in Colossians, by the very end of this letter, he says, but there are some Jews who are partners with me for the sake of the gospel. So you can trust them. You can listen to them. And not just then, but even by the very end of this letter, you hear instruction given not now to, to the church to listen to someone, but now the church is given instruction to give instruction. Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Archippus, Calvin assumes is perhaps an elder, a young elder, who has taken the place of Epaphras in his absence. Regardless of what his position actually was, we see that he has a particular ministry that was assigned to him by the Lord. And so Paul, he commissions the church now. He commissions you all in the reading of his word. Hey, you know your, your pastor, the minister, the one who has that assignment from Christ. Talk to him encourage him, instruct him that he would fulfill the ministry that he has received in the Lord. So this goes two ways. Paul guarding the church and the church even guarding those who would teach the word of God. Others might object and say, well, that was then, this is now. We have all kinds of resources on the internet that could really replace the church we have podcasts. We have access to books. We have all kinds of sermons. We don't really need the local church. So they would say, but as wonderful as these tools can be, as I said earlier, they cannot replace the local church any more than WebMD can replace your physician, your doctor, your dentist. The internet's helpful sometimes, but you can't trust everything on the internet even if that's coming from a reliable source. And so, brothers and sisters, we need one another. We need brothers and sisters who can see into our life, who are able to make prescriptions the way a doctor would make a prescription when they see something that doesn't look right. So, too, brothers and sisters are able to, to protect each other and guard each other from errors in our lives and sins in our lives, lest we be led away from Christ. And this goes for the shepherds, the pastors, the sheep, and the sheep to the shepherds as well. I need you guys. The elders here need you guys. We are not independent from the body. And so Paul, he lists 10 individuals here who were on his team. This morning I counted just how many people were serving on our planning center grid. Count of 42 people who are actively serving today in one way, shape, or another. And that's not even counting all the things that happen behind the scenes. The prayer team that prays every Sunday. Not to mention the deacons who meet to accomplish various tasks in a given week. 
Not to mention all the various activities that go on even within our congregation, meal trains, and, and praying for one another, and sharing our homes with one another. Brothers and sisters, if you are not engaged in the work that is happening here in the church, I want us to recognize this this morning. We need one another. But far be it that we make ourselves the stars of this sermon, and far be it that Paul would make even his partners the stars of the scripture. Paul might be the writer, and he might have a team at work behind him, but don't make any mistake about it. Though he is the author of this letter, we know this of our Lord, he is the author and finisher of faith. And so Paul, he signs off in his letter the very way he started. He says, grace be with you. More than a customary greeting, more than a simple salutation, he says, grace be with you, because everything in his letter from beginning to end is all about the saving grace of our God. The grace to pardon sin. The grace to give you power over sin. The grace that frees you from death and the grace that sustains you even in life. From beginning to end, this letter has all been about God's grace. And so it is even in our own life, though, yes, we need one another. We are a means of grace that God has given to each other for this end. Everything that we do, Paul says, Though he labored harder than any of them, he says, nevertheless, it was not I, but it was Christ that was in him. And he says, the grace that God gave him was not in vain. All that he did was uh, fueled, empowered by the power of God that comes to him by grace. And so it is these servants that strive with Paul were a means of grace to the Colossians and even for us today, they're a means of grace for us and Brothers and sisters, the Lord has given each other, given each other to each other. I don't know how you say that properly, but he's given this church to each other so that we would receive from each other, but ultimately from him. So understand this, your church needs you. And you need your church. And moreover, above all these things, we need Christ. And so to that end, let us draw near to him together in prayer and in worship. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have given us Christ. You've given us your spirit. And not only that, but because we are united to him, we are also united to each other. So we thank you for the fellowship that we enjoy here, the partnerships that we have for the, the sake of the gospel. May we be faithful stewards of it, not squandering it or, or putting it away, not neglecting it or even being perhaps unwilling to gather together or to be known by others and trying to live this Christian life as if it is all about just us and Jesus by ourselves. But Lord, help us to, to love one another and to leak arms with one another so that we might strive side by side so that you might be glorified in our life. Would you give us your spirit in abundance so that we might be unified to this end? And Lord, would you glorify your son in us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Parents, at this time, if you have children in the children's ministry, you can go and get them and bring them back that we might exemplify.